James chapter 2 this morning. I love walking through this book, and today we're going to see where James leads us as far as from the outside a couple of weeks ago. He says, tests are coming. Tests are coming, church. Tests are coming, followers of Jesus. So endure. And then temptation is coming because the temptation is from within you. So be aware, he says. And then last week, he says, let's put it all together. All right, the test from the outside, the temptations on the inside as you begin to journey towards becoming like Christ. This is where he wants to lead us. He said, um, you are going to have to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And he picked out one particular area in which the church, the followers of Christ, were struggling. And that was in the area of how they spoke to one another. And how they became angry. And so James says, be quick to hear, be slow to speak, be slow to anger. And in that way, you will become a doer of the word and not a hearer only. He says, here's some other ways that you uh, demonstrate your authentic Christianity. is by the way that you help those who are helpless. Not only are you holy, but you help those who are helpless. And so James wants to keep going down this track. And here he comes. All right, here's another issue in the church where we can be doers of the word and not hearers only. Read with me James chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And those of you in the modern service, welcome. Welcome. We are glad that you are with us as well. And we hope you found your spot, either uh, Bible in the pew rack in front of you here, your digital device, or maybe you can look on with someone. James chapter 2, Verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. We're going to start there this morning. My brothers, he says, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Here's where James is going to lead us. Here's where the Holy Spirit leads us this morning is in this area of partiality or favoritism or discrimination against people who are not like us. So when I use those words today, I think you, you understand what we're talking about here. James uses the word partiality. It's an interesting word. It's a word that literally means that you look on the face of another person and you take that face and you lift that face up at the expense of looking down on other people. He says, some of you are lifting up the faces of those who are wealthy, and what you're doing is leaving behind those who are poor. And so thought number one this morning that I think we can find just from the very first verse is this. You cannot carry the name of Jesus in one hand and show favoritism with the other hand. You cannot do it. You cannot, James says, verse one, you who hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So he's saying it's as if you in one hand hold up the faith of the creator of the universe, the Lord of all glory, the one who created everything and created everybody. 
the one who has created every human being with a distinctive of bearing the image of God. You claim to hold the faith of this Lord of glory, the gospel in one hand, your followers of Jesus, but in the other, you lift up the faces of those that you're partial to while looking down on somebody else. He says, you can't do that. It's just simply out of whack. You, you can't say I hold up the faith of the Lord of glory while at the same time I, I push down the faces of some while lifting up the faces of those that I like or those that I respect or those that are like me or those that accept me. Whatever category you want to put in this morning of, of discrimination or favoritism or partiality because we're, we're going to hit on wealth and, and, and class, we're going to hit on race a little bit, but I understand this. We can show favoritism to those that perhaps are the same race as us or maybe even the same class as us. We simply don't like them because they, they, they are acting different than we want them to act and so therefore we show favoritism to some and not to others. Whatever category you need to put in there, you, you do it right now because this is a general principle. You can't hold up the gospel of Jesus Christ with one hand and push down others while elevating others above them. You can't do it, James says. It's, it's inauthentic. He says you're deceiving yourselves again. Verses 2 through 4, he gives an example. And this is happening in some of the assemblies. You've got to remember that the first century church was a very poor church. There weren't a whole lot of rich and wealthy people who were flooding into the early church. They were made up of mostly poor and outcasts in society. They were made up of those that didn't have a lot of means or a lot of status. That was probably the DNA of the early church. So James says, here's what I've observed. Here's what I'm watching is that when a man of wealth or a man of means comes into the church, you look at him and you say, hey, here's the best seat. So you sit here. You lift up his face. Meanwhile, someone comes walking in with shabby clothes and you say, okay, you, um, you, you, you stand over there. You sit underneath my feet is literally what it says. You have a place. You don't have a place. You, you, in essence, are devaluing the image of God in this individual. It reminds me of what I read this week about over in England and here in the United States as well. Do you know that our, our churches, our, our mainline denominational churches, in the past were designed in such a way, some of them, were designed in such a way where those who had means and those who had money were able to sit down front, not that you all are the wealthy elitists here, okay, I'm just pointing to you, all right, they would sit down, you're never going to sit down front again, all right, <laughs> you're going to be like in the back, you're going to be out in the hallway somewhere, all right, so, so those who were down front and those who were in the center and those who had seats facing the pastor, you ever, you ever been in old churches like that? Facing the pastor. There were benches that you would look at one another. How would you like to be staring at someone while the pastor is behind you? All right. So they would, they would come in. But those who had money and those who had means and those who had, had wealth and those who were middle class would sit and they would be able to face the pastor. But there was a day when, when they would tell the poor, oh, by the way, there's another door that you go in. And they would come in a side door and they would sit them in a place where there would be a partition where they could not be seen and they could not see the pastor and so the wealthy were given seats of privilege and the poor were given seats where they could only hear but they were not seen 
And William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, his heart was for people who were discriminated against, who were, who were poor, who were the outcasts of society. And thus, this is part of his story, not the whole story, but this is part of his story of why he started the Salvation Army. Fast forward uh, to the 60s in our country, and as I was reading that story, I was thinking about our segregation against African Americans, against blacks. It wasn't different doors to enter into the, the church. It was just completely different churches altogether, and it was different water fountains, and it was the balcony up in the movie theaters, and it was different counters uh, there in restaurants, and it was different seats on the bus. All the while, circulating around American religious life is an understanding that we have the gospel in one hand, but we allow discrimination to occur on the other hand. James says it's nothing new, and it's wrong. And it happened in the early church, and it happens in all our churches. It happens in our hearts today in some form or some fashion. And so thought number two this morning, we are quick to show favoritism because our hearts are conditioned by our culture. What did I just explain to you? We are conditioned by the culture, by the context in which we live. We are conditioned, shaped, to simply pay attention to the ones who are most educated, to the ones who have means, to the ones who have status in society. We are attracted to people like that. Meanwhile, those who are poor we tend to leave to the side. We are attracted to, to those who, who have the same color of skin that we do. And this is why America has struggled so many years. We made a lot of progress, absolutely, but we struggle with that. It's amazing that, um, as I was reading yesterday, the, the history of our convention, we were shaped by the South. We were shaped by the culture in which we, as Southern Baptists, live in. In 1845, there was a split. The Northern Baptists went their way. The Southern Baptists started and went our way. And the reason why was because the Northern Baptists would not commission missionaries who held slaves. So fast forward all those years, 150 years later, in Atlanta, Georgia, downtown Atlanta, the Southern Baptist Convention stood up and said, that was wrong. And it was right of them to say that. 2012, I was sitting there in New Orleans when Fred Luter, Dr. Luter, the president of, uh, uh, the pastor of a large church in New Orleans, became the very first African-American president to ascend uh, to the presidency for the Southern Baptist Commission. It was an amazing day. But James has been saying all along, you, you can't hold up the gospel and push people down. Your heart, so you've got to look inside because you're shaped by the culture and you're shaped by, by your context in which you live. So you've got to be aware of that. So he explains what does this look like. Verses 5 through 7, he says, listen, listen, read with me. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? He's saying, don't you understand that in God's kingdom, it runs counter to how your heart thinks about those who are rich and poor. God thinks differently. Verse 6, but you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name 
by which you were called. So thought number three this morning is that favoritism runs counter to the culture of God's kingdom. All right, so if our hearts kind of like we're digging a little trench, this is how we think, this is how we act, this is how we behave, all right? James comes in and he says favoritism runs counter to that in God's culture. That, 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 that's not, God looks at the poor and he says to them, my heart is near to those who are outcasts. My heart is near to those who are without means. Now, let's be careful here, okay? Don't, don't fall, all right? Don't get tripped up for the theology that says just because you are poor means you are holy. Or just because you are rich or wealthy, you are condemned. No, all are saved by grace. All are sinners in need of the mercy and the forgiveness of God. But what the scriptures teaches and what is very, very clear is God's heart is near and dear to those who are cast off, to those who are, are widowed, to those who are orphaned, to those who are discriminated against. Because why? Because they have nothing. They are desperate. They are totally dependent upon the grace and the mercy of God for their existence, for their life, and they have nothing else. And God is attracted to that. For the rich, he just doesn't simply condemn you because you work hard and you save well and you employ people and God has made you successful. He doesn't condemn you for that. What God's kingdom runs on is a heart that recognizes that I'm entirely dependent upon him. And God says, I want you to see this countercultural understanding of my, of my kingdom so that you recognize that how you think currently recognizing rich while pushing away the poor, recognizing the whites for, and, and pushing away blacks throughout our history, recognizing those of your generation while pushing away those of a different generation, whatever it is. He says, listen, here is God's kingdom that every single individual is made in the image of God. Every single person. From the very beginning, there is a, a, an image placed within every human being, no matter how much money they have, how little money they have, where they're from in the world, it doesn't matter. They bear the image of God. It's like in the first century, the emperor would, would take little images of himself and he would put it in cities and he'd put it in villages and he'd put it in towns. And when the citizens would go by, they'd see the little image of the emperor and they'd recognize two things. One, he represents the authority of Rome and he represents the glory of Rome. Do you realize that God in his creativity has created individuals so unique for the purpose of putting them around the world to display his authority and to display his glory? And then, besides that, God says this, that not only are all men created in our image, all women, but God's character shows no favoritism. Romans chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 6, Colossians chapter 3 say it very, very cl clearly, God does not show partiality. Then Ephesians chapter 2 says, not only does God show no partiality, but the gospel breaks down barriers. The gospel breaks down race obstacles. There was no greater obstacle, no greater wall in the first century than Jews on one side, Gentiles on the other side. They hated each other. And you think it's difficult now, Clemson Tigers, to get along with the Gamecocks and vice versa. You think it's difficult after that game on that Saturday night to sit in the same pew with them and worship with them? You have seen nothing compared to Jews and Gentiles worshiping together as one. 
And because Christ came and because Christ died, he has broken down the petition. And we are one, Paul says. That should give us hope. That should give us hope. And, and, and then here, here's the other thing, that the nations, that all of these nations, all of these ethnic groups will be worshiping together around the throne at the end of history. I've got news for you. Around the throne is not going to look like this. Around the throne, modern service is not going to look like that. Oh, there will be some of us there. I pray most of you, all of you will be there. But around the throne, it says, Revelation chapter 7, that there will be represented every nation, every ethnic group, every tongue, every tribe. I got news for all of us. There's going to be a lot of color around the throne. Amen? And it's going to be awesome. Because each individual has value. Why? Because God loves them and created them in their image. And so James says, okay, now when the rich man walks in and when the poor man walks in, how are you going to see him? Are you going to see him differently? As loved by God? A as Christ dying for him? Or are you going to stay in the same contours of your heart? Fourthly, let's move quickly. We deceive ourselves if we think we're both moral and we show favoritism. Let's read verses 8 through 11. It's pretty straightforward here, okay? Dig in with me. Dig into the word here. Here's what it says. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, and the royal law is what? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. We love God uh, vertically, and because of that love of God that comes from, from him poured into our heart, therefore, we just don't like a sponge, soak it all in so we become so bloated. Instead, that grace and love of God comes to us so that horizontally we love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus said, on these two commandments hang everything. Loving God, loving your neighbor. He says, if you do that, you're doing well. But, verse 9, if you show partiality, there it is, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one single point has become accountable for the whole law. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Here's what James is saying, is that you deceive yourself if you carry on in your religion. Does this sound familiar? <laughs> if you carry on in your religion, but you show partiality, your morality and your religion has failed and has broken the law, and you're guilty of the whole thing. The, the sense that we can be moral, the sense that we can be righteous, but somehow harbor favoritism and discrimination against other people, no matter what class or race or society, whatever it might be, indicates that we really are still breakers of the law, and we're not really moral and righteous. The same thing he said last week. If you think you have true religion but you can't rein in your tongue check your religion see what the law says and so lastly here, here he's going to lead us all right james we need some help because just naturally in our hearts we're going to show favoritism 
We're, we're naturally going to discriminate. We're naturally going to push away people. All right, so what do we do? Verse 12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy, and mercy triumphs over judgment. Fifth thing, final thing this morning. The answer to favoritism is to treat others as God has treated us in the gospel. Here's the very good news, all right? Favoritism, the answer to it, is to treat others as God has treated us in the gospel. So here is how James reminds us that we look into the law and we see we're bigots. We're prejudiced. We show slight favoritism. We push away others and we lift others up. Whatever it is, we look into that law, we're broken. We're slaves. We're trapped to that sin. But then he says, listen, speak and act as if you are under the law of liberty, the law of freedom. What's the law of freedom? That Christ has come to fulfill the Old Testament law. You see, the Old Testament law says you're broken. You need grace. You need a Savior. Christ has come to fulfill that and say, yes, you need a Savior, and I'm him. And through his death and through his burial and through his resurrection, there comes new life. There comes freedom from our enslavement. And so, so James says, listen, church, don't speak and act as if you're strapped to the Old Testament law. As you look into it, you're broken. You're trying to keep it, but you can't. I want you to speak and to act as if you have been freed because you have been freed by the gospel. You have been freed by Christ who looks at you. And he has done something amazing. Get this, you ready? You and me... This will help you. This will help me as I look at people that are not like me, okay? You, at one time, were not like God. You say, well, I'm not like him now, but, but hang on. Call yourself a follower of Jesus. You were not like God because you, you weren't holy like him. You were, you were sinful. You were imperfect. You did things that were wrong, so therefore your character and his didn't match. And guess what? Because God is holy, he cannot bring you to himself he cannot have you be a part of his family he cannot he, he cannot stomach sin so here was his choice either to lift up your face toward him or to push you away because you were not like him he had a choice he could have said um they've done everything counter to my law they are not like me in any regard, so therefore, since they're not like me, I'm going to push them down. I'm going to lift up the face of those who are like me, but here's the only problem. There is no one. And God, out of his great love, sent down Christ, and the judgment of God for our sin and our being not like Christ it's all placed on him. And instead of pushing down our heads and our faces away from him, he lifts us up. He lifts us up so that we can be free. James says, if you realize this truth, that you 
were an outcast, you were poor, you were discriminated against, and maybe you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Christ and you sense that and you feel that, here's the incredible news, Christ lifts up your face to the Father. And that's incredibly good news. And James says, once you kind of get a hold of this, then you begin to look at people differently and you begin to speak and act in accordance with this gospel. Not because we have to. We, we, we speak and act out of mercy. We speak and act out of mercy because mercy has been given to us. We speak and act because the gospel has spared us of our sin. And because of that mercy, now we display mercy to other people. And James says, once that catches in your mind, you begin to look differently. We, 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 we need to examine our hearts individually. We need to examine our church. I pray that we will in the days ahead. I pray that we will examine how are we treating those who are not like us? How are we continuing to minister to those right here around us as a church, as a body? Our, now, now, we do it not because we're guilty and we want to do something to kind of make it feel better or because we have to, because James says, you, no, we do it because the mercy of the gospel of Christ has been rooted in us and we cannot help but be compelled to love other people. So this morning, let's examine our hearts. This morning, let's examine our church this morning, let's say, how can we be a church? How can I be a person driven by the gospel so that, so that people, when they look at us, don't see us holding up the gospel with what we say and, and holding up our hands and saying, this is who we are as a follower of Jesus, but with the other hand, being in complete misalignment with the heart of God for other people. Will you pray with me right now? Father, we pray that you would now minister to every heart in the worship center, every heart in the, in the worship room there, in the fellowship hall. And we pray this morning that we would see, we would see how you see people. That we would see through the lens of the gospel. And through the lens of us being saved by the gospel. And therefore, displaying great passion and love and mercy to those not like us. Father, lead us by your spirit. May your presence overwhelm every soul this morning. As we encounter you through the word. Encounter you by your spirit. May we now respond. Pray this prayer now in Jesus' name.